0: Biz
1: News Power Hour. Well, it's the 25th of November, Thursday. Very happy day for us here at Biz News. Of course, it's payday. And because it's payday, we've managed to get Jared Neves to come and join us in studio today. No, not really. But at the end of each week, Jared brings us up to date on what the community has been accessing on the Biz News Network. We'll hear more of that in just a moment. But outside of that, an uh, interesting program coming up for you. Uh, on a Thursday, I talk with our partners in Namibia, Nova FM, and the managing director there, Gary Strubel, well-known in South Africa. He used to be the man who ran... OFM in Bloemfontein for many years. And it's an interview, really a a catch up on what's happened in the business news over the past week. Uh, We'll go into that straight after our usual market report. And I suppose that's really the perfect opening for Jared to tell us what the business community have actually been accessing that is, watching on Business TV, reading on Business.com and listening to on Biz News Radio uh, in this past week. Jerry.
0: Thanks, Alec. So on our website, the most popular post uh, is a mailbox by a Biz News community member. And unlike more conventional pieces penned by our readers, the anonymous contributor expressed their heartbreak about leaving South Africa in a poem, and uh, as our colleague Nadia Swartz wrote in the context, notwithstanding the very real advantages immigrants enjoy elsewhere, it is hard not to wonder whether they perhaps are so persistent in their advocacy of immigration because any deviation therefrom would be too painful. Oh, come on, Nadia, you've got to tell us that. What advantages could there possibly be to be outside of
1: South Africa?
2: I don't need to tell you, just less risk. But I mean, just that, that's the thing. There are people that leave this country and they will take any chance they can get to tell you how amazing it is where they are. That it's its just, it's too overt. You have to wonder why. So,
1: Having seen this firsthand uh, in both Australia and uh, the UK, it is part of the uh, belief that they they have to justify their new home for themselves. Otherwise, it can be unbearable. It's very, very difficult to emigrate, so you can understand that. But it is a, Jared, that was a beautiful piece. It truly was a lovely poem.
0: No, it it, it was gorgeous. Um, But on YouTube, uh, it was politics that were more popular. Uh, Viewers were drawn to an interview with action Essays Herman Mashaba. In the 30-minute conversation, the outspoken businessman and politician comments on the party supporting Gauteng contesting nationally in 2024, and negotiating with other political parties. Yeah, he's quite
1: something, Herman, and actually, say, certainly has shaken up the whole political environment here in South Africa. With those people who are now sitting in other parts of the world where they perhaps saw a future which was full-on corruption and misrule and incompetent management of the economy can at least for a moment start thinking, hang on, Maybe the homeland will be getting things right again because to get the ANC below 50% is at the very least going to make the people in that party wake up and realize that uh, they're not going to be ruling by divine right.
0: Then on Spotify, the most listened to podcast was Helen Ziller on Governing by the DA's new mayors. That piece also did well on YouTube and on the website. She describes it as walking barefoot over mountains. In the interview, Zilla offers a view of the ascension of the DA's candidates to the mayoral position of SA's leading cities. The seasoned politician notes that there are challenges that lie ahead, such as ridding local government of corrupt ANC cadres.
1: Yeah, that that to me was uh, certainly my highlight of the week, uh, Nadia. Again, you live in the Western Cape. Uh, you've had the benefit of uh, Helen Zilla living there too, and being the mayor and being the premier of the of the province. What do people on the ground think of Zilla uh, in that part of the country?
2: I think that the approach is very. I mean, look, I'm newly. I can't even call myself a Cape Townian. Um, there's yet. there or yet.
0: No, it'd be 40 you, years or you can so, take the
2: it? the Pretoria out of well, no, wait, you can take the girl out of Pretoria, <laughs> but not the other way around. Um Got it. there's there's almost two camps. I think that there's some resentment because people don't think they that she sort of took the chance that she had back in the day, and that there was some DA fallout, but there's a lot of attention around her. And like Jared said, you can see it on all our platforms. She's a huge draw card. Massive.
1: Jared. Jared, what I like about Helen is that she always tells it straight. She's just, she's a straight shooter. There's no um, beating around any bushes with her. This is the way she sees it. You might not like it, but at least you know you're going to be getting a consistent person, which with politicians, well, it's not always part of the mix, is it?
0: No, it's, it's refreshing, and that's also what I like about listening to um, interviews with Herman Mashaba. But as Nadia said, when it comes to Helen Zilla, it depends on who you're talking to in Cape Town, Jelly. Brightrock believes that with every change in
1: life comes opportunity, and the markets aren't any different. The daily movement in the markets means change for us all, sometimes small, sometimes big. This daily market report is made just for you by Brightrock the first ever needs-matched life insurance that changes as your life changes. Well, Nadia, now you get to earn that uh, paycheck that you get every 25th of the month, as we all do. What's in the news headlines today?
2: Health Minister Joe Parler says that the discovery of the new B one one five two nine COVID variant is still very fresh news and has caught the government by surprise, with health officials and scientists still monitoring the situation to determine how it could impact South Africa. Parler said that the government was only fully briefed on the new variant on Thursday morning and expects to receive further data over the weekend. He added that meetings will be held with government officials, President Romopoulos' cabinet and the National Coronavirus Command Council in the coming days to discuss possible intervention measures and restrictions. While Parler said that it was too early to predict what the exact line of action will be, he noted that the government has learnt a number of lessons over the past 21 months on what causes a COVID-19 wave to emerge and how to prevent the spread of a new variant. From following reports that road agency Sunrail had been approved for, for a seven billion rand loan from the BRICS New Development Bank, the group has clarified that it couldn't get the loan because National Treasury blocked it. The loan was blocked because there was still uncertainty around etol collections in Gauteng and Treasury was not p- prepared to take on the guarantees for the loan while this uncertainty persists. The government has been dithering on e-tolls for several years now And motorists in the province refused to pay for the system that was forced on them without consultation. And authorities, despite many promises, refused to provide any plan for the system. And a storm is headed for the Western Cape and expected to make landfall from late on Thursday night and continue throughout Friday. This is according to the South African Weather Service, which warned during a briefing to the Provincial Disaster Management Centre. Regions expected to be most affected by the adverse conditions of the coastal regions along the Overberg and southeastern parts of Cape Town, including Strand, Musenberg, and Cape Point, while the Cape Winelands is expected to see the brunt of the bad weather. And this is according to local government environmental affairs and development planning MEC Anton Bradel. And now it's back to Justin for the market report. Thanks, Nods. The JSC All Share Index was flat at
3: 70,500, in the currency markets, the Rand is largely flat against all the major currencies to 15 Rand 82 cents to the dollar, 21 Rand 15 cents to the pound, and 17 Rand 83 cents to the euro. Gold is up at $1,792 an ounce. rand will cost you around 30,000 Rand. Brent crude is trading at $82 a barrel, and the premier cryptocurrency will put you back 930,000 Rand. In the financial news, retailer Mr. Price says civil unrest in July. Costed an estimated 320 million rand in lost sales, but it has still upped its interim dividend by more than a third amid market share gains. Group revenue rose 35% to 12.5 billion rand in the six months to October. It said on Thursday, with group retail sales 17.4% higher than pre-pandemic levels. Mr. Price Apparel, its largest division, has gained market share for 19 consecutive months. With Mr. Price attributing this to its value proposition for customers adding it highlights the defensive nature of its business.
1: Interesting to hear that it's gained market share for 19 consecutive months. Uh, In the interview that I had yesterday with Magnus Haystick, he said Coronation Asset Management has lost assets under management for seven consecutive years. So it seems as though in some areas market shares grow, other areas market market shares under pressure. But coming up later in the program, Justin, your chat with Pit Filiun, anything we need to be watching out for there?
3: Yeah, we touch on the on the clothing retailers, the discretionary retailers. It's an interesting industry. Although they've come out of the pandemic stronger, that being Mr. Price, Truers, and the Fashini Group, the South African macroeconomic backdrop, the customers getting poorer. Unfortunately, clothing does fall behind a lot of the day-to-day needs that you and I and every other South African consumer has. So the, uh, the discretionary um, spend is going to be limited in times to come. And it's the companies like Mr. Price that are acquiring the smaller retailers that are gaining market share period by period, as evidenced by 19 consecutive months, which is quite an achievement.
1: Also, coming up in the program tonight, uh, Futi Saterbi, who is the new chief executive of the organization that is running horse racing in most of South Africa. It's called Four Racing. It's taken over thanks to the generosity of the Oppenheimer family, particularly Mary Oppenheimer and daughters, uh, which succeeding the bankrupt Pomalela. And then we'll also have a couple of interviews with our man on media, well, South Africa's man on media, Jerry Maggs. And uh, he's got an interview with Hayden Townsend, who's the managing director at Accenture Interactive and the chairman of the IAB. And then closing off our program to this evening, is with the Agency of the Year's boss, Paul Jackson, CEO of Gray South Africa. So lovely to have Jeremy Mags making a sizable contribution to this evening's efforts. This Daily Market Report was made just for you by BrightRock, the first ever needs-matched life insurance that changes as your life changes.
4: Alec, as always, welcome to the show. It's been a busy week in South Africa, lots of big things happening and lots of uh, malcontent content around politics and uh, s- stuff around the environment and, as always, Magnus Haystack's upset about stuff. So <laughs> what's your biggest story of the week? Uh, Helen Zilla,
1: unquestionably. I got hold of her um, at about six fifteen one one morning this week on WhatsApp and said, can you talk about the strange things that have happened? There was an unprecedented voting for new mayors where... It was a anyone but the ANC uh, approach, and she did. So I spoke to her early on Tuesday morning, just after the DA had uh, been given the rights to appoint the mayor of Johannesburg and Kuruleni, which were huge surprises. Uh, They got the support there of Action SA and the EFF, and uh, Helen unpacked everything really well, and that's, without question our top story, because South Africans are tired of corruption, particularly in the major metros, and no doubt elsewhere in the country as well, in the municipalities, where it has really been a opportunity by the ANC just to plunder for many years now. And getting a new government, even though it's going to be a pretty dicey one because it's a minority government uh, in Johannesburg and the and then, consequently, uh, on Tuesday, the DA also uh, got the uh, the mayor of Pretoria, or Tswani, rather. Uh, and that does mean that the three major councils in uh, Gauteng are under the DA control. And, of course, add Cape Town. Uh, and you've got the four biggest in the country now, which are sitting with it, with the DA, with the exception of Itikwani or Durban, uh, where the ANC squeaked in by, I think it was seven votes, but it's a uh, it's it's all change in politics in South Africa. And Helen was, uh, I think, gave us quite a a lot of reasons for sobriety, and no reason for, to celebrate this yet, because there's an enormous amount of work going forward, and who knows? She said at any point the EFF might change their collective mind, and that would be the end of the mayor. Who was appointed at that point at that stage and uh, chaos will reign again. So we are in completely uncharted waters here in South Africa after the local government elections.
4: So you speak of uncharted waters. The Rand is in uncharted waters. That's a story from Treasury One on your site. And the forecast doesn't look good for the Rand going forward. Uh, Mostly dollar strength at the moment um, and uncertainty around inflation in the major markets. But what is the current um, uh, thinking about the direction of the RAND?
1: Well, the RAND is now heading back towards 16 against the US dollar uh, and it's not an unusual place for the RAND to be. It bounces all over the place, Gary, and I think all we do, the one thing we do know uh, being in South Africa is that the RAND will be volatile uh, and if it shows a period of strength, it's a very good idea to take the money and invest offshore because the weakness will follow as sure as night follows day i uh, uh, the guys at uh, Treasury One and you 're talking specifically there about andre celia uh, he 's he 's called the rand really well when he 's nervous, we' right to be nervous as well, and it is heading again uh, in the wrong direction for the moment
4: and a story that um, caught my attention and and we 've seen a, a number of issues pop up on social media around it is of course shell and, and and their ambitions to do some exploration off the wild coast. It seems to have sparked some fury. Perhaps you can just shed some light on, on what are they proposing because the story on your site talks about the other side of the Sona exploration argument. Um, perhaps just give us some insights what's going on there.
1: Well, you might recall if you go back decades in South Africa, the one weakness of the country as far as self-sufficiency is concerned is oil and gas. Uh, during the apartheid regime, uh, the Karoo was pockmarked with exploratory wells to try and find oil and gas within the country. Uh, then in the southern Cape, there was quite a lot of uh, searching for uh, oil or gas, which unfor- well, it was very difficult to discover because the seas there are extremely rough. And they did find some oil off Marsal Bay, uh, but it, some gas, rather, off Mossel Bay, but uh, it wasn't enough by far to get South Africa self-sufficient. But all the geological surveys would suggest, or those that that exist at the moment, that South Africa does have offshore resources. There's uh, been some good finds off Mossel Bay. Technology has improved dramatically in the uh, in, in the exploration area as well, as well as being able to pull gas out from rough seas. Uh, a few years ago, uh, Total managed to extract uh, gas from the North Sea and used similar technology off Muscle uh, Bay or the southern Cape Coast to discover some really huge gas fields, not as big as Mozambique, but uh, in South Africa's uh, situation, unprecedented. Anyway, this has sparked a lot of interest from one of its competitors, Shell. And Shell's now going further up the coast, towards the Wild Coast. Uh, that's off the Eastern Cape rather than the Southern Cape. And there's been a ferrari because of the way that Shell is exploring uh, for the oil and gas. It hasn't been properly surveyed in that area. It was never really considered as a uh, oil or gas province up until this point. And the technology that's being used is believed by... Uh, a a lot of environmentalists to be very damaging, not just to the ocean, but to marine life. And we published uh, something earlier this week after an old pal of mine, Peter Bruce, wrote an article in the Sunday Times. Peter's from that area, from the Eastern Cape, so I thought he was being a little uh, emotional perhaps about it, Uh, but the video that we published uh, was quite uh, powerful uh, against Shell. And then this morning, because that's the way that's what you do as a as a publication, as a journalist, uh, you give the other side. So we've got a other point of view on the exploration on the sonar, which says it isn't that dangerous. What I'm still not sure about is the the argument here is that uh, you're not allowed to do this kind of exploration in on in the Atlantic or in Europe, but it appears as though you're allowed to do it in the Indian Ocean which seems to be double standards but i haven't had confirmation on whether that is true that's what the environmental lobby says why can you do why are you doing stuff here which has been banned uh, in the northern hemisphere so we'll get to the bottom of it at some point in time but there's always two sides to every story isn't there gary
4: And it's great to find both of those on the website, biznews.com. You can go check out those stories and more. Lots of videos, lots of audio from Alec and his intrepid team of journalists from all over the world as they bring you all sorts of great information here from our little tip of Africa.
5: How does business empower our nation? By bringing produce to our tables, giving us technology that connects us, hospitals that care for us, And the tools that shape our cities. And by backing the next generation of business owners. That's why South Africa banks on business. Business banks on us. Standard Bank. It can be. Standard Bank is an authorized financial services and registered credit provider. T's and C's
4: apply.
3: I'm Justin Roberts of Business, and with me for today's Market Insights is CounterPoints Petfolion. Pet, firstly, it's a beautiful day in Cape Town, 3.30 on the afternoon on a Thursday. You're firmly at your desk. Are you making sure that the portfolio is in good stead before the Christmas season kicks in? Well,
6: the less less I uh, play around with the portfolio, the better it does. So no, I'm not looking at the portfolio right now. I'm just uh, doing my normal reading and uh, resisting the temptation to go outside because it is such a great day.
3: Awesome. Well, onto your readings. Uh, Two of your favorite small to mid-cap stocks, the Lewis Group and SabVets, they came out with positive updates, one with results and the other one with corporate action, buying shares back. Your general marks on both, starting with Lewis?
6: So so Lewis is a very interesting company. I think it's a well-run business uh, that caters to a part of the market where there isn't massive competition at this point in time. There used to be a lot of competition, but... um, A lot of capital is is withdrawn from that market, so um, there's less competition around, uh, and they're doing very well um, in terms of the merchandise they provide to their clients. Uh, On top of that, you can buy this business, a well-managed business, um, at a discount to its net current asset value. So, in other words, you're buying it at less than liquidation value. Uh, and that's just, again, uh, a one more southern company which is massively discounted and I think offers very juicy prospect of long term returns in whichever currency you want to measure it. Sabest, Pit. Sabest is probably even a better story. Um, uh, Sabest is run by a very good capital allocator by the name of Christopher Seabrook. He has a long term track record of generating very high returns on capital. His net asset value per share has grown at a high rate. Um, he's bought some fantastic businesses over time, and now he is buying back his own business, the business he knows best, um, again at a price which discounts uh, the assets he owns uh, significantly. So, so I think it's just more good capital allocation from Chrisy Brook, uh, and I think the shareholders who are there um, will enjoy the ride going forward.
3: Mr. Price, out with the results earlier today. Too, we've seen all the clothing retailers, for the large part, emerge out of the pandemic stronger. Is discretionary retail something that you look at? I would assume there's a little bit of caution there due to its reliance on economic growth. The economic situation in South Africa is relatively dire, and at the end of the day, clothing does sit behind. A lot of other needs in the monthly budget it does
6: but i think you find surprising many people it sits at the top of the list when they go (laughs) so so i think i i think you know retailing is a is a a well run retailing business is a fantastic business and a well-run clothing retail business is an even better business because it does you know uh it it does prey on people's emotions you know people like wearing new clothes fancy clothes uh so you know I, i think it's fundamentally a sound and good business. And if you can provide fashion at the price point, which Mr. Price does, I think you're on a good wicket as they've shown over the past, I don't know, 25 years, 30 years almost now, I think that they've been around. Um, so great business. Uh, and I know we've had the pandemic last year that was closed and you couldn't shop at them for a while. But in the background, uh, a lot of clothing retailers' results are good year on year because they're coming off a low base. Uh, when they were closing the pandemic retail. But also, you must remember, they've been feeding effectively off the carcass of Edgar's. Edgar's was gone backwards and basically disappeared. Edgar's used to be the biggest clothing retailer in the country. So all the guys who've outcompeted competed Edgar's have been feeding off that carcass, and that's boosted the returns as well. I was watching
3: an interesting Bloomberg program last night. They were asking a whole lot of U.S. analysts whether... Uh, the stock market or the major indices could achieve double-digit growth in 2022. If they were to achieve double-digit growth in 2022, it would be the first time in US history that there was four consecutive years of double-digit growth. How much longer can this party go on for? Uh,
6: As long as the Fed keeps printing money, I think it can carry on uh, for a long time. Uh, I I think uh, global markets are being supported by money printing uh, by both fiscal and by both the fiscal and the monetary authorities they are with a negative and low and in negative interest rates uh, the monetary authorities are supporting markets and the fiscal authorities supporting markets by by printing money and spending a lot of money on infrastructure and other projects um, so i think there's a chance i mean i i hate making forecasts because i have no idea what the future holds but I think there is a non-zero chance that markets continue to go up in the face of a lot of fear and a lot of um, and a lot of mispricing because there is there's no doubt there is a lot of mispricing out there in the market, both on the downside in places like South Africa and on the upside in places like America. So you know, where interest rates aren't set by markets like the U.S. and Europe and other developed markets, I think asset prices um, have become detached from reality. Whereas in places where interest rates are set by the market, like emerging markets, Brazil, Mexico, South Africa, Russia, um, I think asset prices are very reasonable still uh, and offer fantastic investment opportunities. So, uh, um, yeah, that's a long-winded way of saying I don't know what the future holds, but I know which way I want to tilt the portfolio.
3: Pete, interestingly, City Lodge came up with an update around an hour ago. Uh, Without focusing too much on that update, occupancies are sitting at 41%, which I think is much better than was previously expected. Do you expect uh, hospitality companies to come out of this pandemic stronger, or do you think things like business travel are going to take a few years before they normalize back to pre-COVID levels?
6: Look, uh, this is a guess, and your guess would be as good as mine, uh, but I think business travel will take a bit longer. I mean, I, for one, have not been traveling as much as I used to, uh, but, you know, uh, human beings are social animals. Uh, 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 in-person business meeting is much better than a Zoom business meeting. There's no doubt about that. So it will come back. Um, and leisure travel is already back in a big way and, and, and getting better. Um, because people want to connect. They want to be with other people. They want to be with other people in other places. Um, so I think these businesses will come back and they will also adapt. I mean, the other thing one has to, uh always understand and give credit to is human ingenuity uh, and business managers adapt their businesses to a changing environment and yes the environment is changing but that doesn't mean these guys are just standing still looking at uh you know uh what's happening around them they're also adapting their businesses and they will come out successfully at the other in if they can survive if the key is if they can survive if they don't have too much debt because that's always a killer uh debt takes can take away the control you have over a situation. If you don't have too much debt, then you can manage your way through a situation, adapt your business to the changing times, and come out successfully on the other side. And that's what human beings historically have been able to do.
3: We're seeing jurisdictions all over the world react differently to the new waves of coronavirus coming through. Uh, There's rumors that uh, the fourth wave is just in its infancy in South Africa, how would you like to see the fourth wave get managed or how would you do it yourself, the perfect medium between safety and the economy to keep
0: going?
6: I, I, uh, so first of all, I think lockdowns are um, not a good way of managing the process. Uh, I, I think lockdowns make no difference at all. I think what does make a difference is your personal hygiene and and keeping a distance from other people. You know, it's, it's safe social distancing, which I quite like in any case, so I haven't got a problem with that. Um, but just being sensible. I mean, uh, illnesses have been with human beings through the eons and they will be with us in the future as well. For some reason, we've gotten very scared of this one and it has, it, it has had a death rate higher than normal. But there's, there's a lot of other things that kill people, which we uh, are less, much less scared of. So it's, I struggle to understand the fear around this. And I think a lot of it is being driven by. Um, by media that wants to sell copy, I, I think that's that's uh, one driver. Another one, uh, and I think very much so in places like South Africa, is uh, politicians who want to exert control. Uh, so those two have worked together to create uh, what call, what Charlie Munger would call a Lollapalooza loser situation, where it's it, the the fear around it is just so far out of line with the actual reality um, that I struggle to understand it.
1: It's a real pleasure to be talking with Fundy Setebe, who is the chief executive of 4Racing. Fundy, 4Racing, it rolls off the tongue, but what exactly is it?
7: Um, so perhaps if I could just take a step back. In 2020, what we know as Permanent Gaming and Leisure, that was listed on the Jobbix Stock Exchange, uh, went into business rescue. And at the time, I suspect, uh, I was obviously not in the industry, I suspect that there was uh, plenty of writings on the wall. And as a result, um, a few people that really had the heart of the industry Um, at the center of their plan started looking at a task team to see how best to save it. So obviously Pumalila went into uh, business rescue, but in parallel, there was a task team that then uh, decided to purchase the good assets of Pumalila Gaming and Leisure, and out of that was uh, 4Racing that was born. So 4Racing, I guess, has really been in the uh, formative phase for probably the last 16 or 18 months, um, and it's only now that we finally get that uh, life pushed into us on the, on the 1st of December, having gotten most of our licenses from the gambling boards.
1: So the gambling boards have now uh, said you can continue to, or you can plan for the future, presumably. And over the past 18 months, though, there was still horse racing happening in South Africa, although not too many people allowed on the tracks.
7: Correct. Correct. There was, Alec, but you also recall that I think at the beginning of uh, uh, our initial level five restrictions around COVID, um, that all horse racing activities stopped completely. And that was almost that nail that was, you know, that final nail on the coffin. So for probably a period of about at least four or five months, there was no racing whatsoever, which meant that even the limited revenue from um, a betting perspective and even a racing operations perspective was seriously depleted. Um, so, as a result, when we, you know, started uh, coming onto onto the fold and looking at the assets, there's really a lot that needs to be done just to revive the business and make sure that we at least get it to the former glory of what horse racing was. In, in, in South Africa, there is obviously also because of the limited um, spectators being allowed into our race courses, we have had um, 249, which is Teletrack, televising the races. We will not, as 4Racing, be taking that over. And one of the things that we will be doing quite excitedly is launching our own 4Racing TV.
1: Oh, so Teletrack, uh, the team there are not necessarily becoming part of the new company, the new organization.
7: That's correct, Alec. The assets that we have purchased, um, as I mentioned earlier on, do not involve Teletrack, so we will not be stepping into, um, as you'd know, Teletrack is a partnership amongst the three operators at this point in time, but 4Racing has opted not to step into that partnership, and we will then launch our own um, television product. That's
1: quite a big step, and I presume that you'd have other plans uh, into the future that will also be very different to what used to happen in horse racing in South Africa and, of course, took it down a bit of a slippery slope, the years of Marcus Eurster and his control of the industry, for instance, uh, then the Betfred from, from the UK who were looking to acquire control of it, uh, Mary Oppenheimer and Daughters, uh, who eventually did. Uh, is, is Mary, or Mary Slack, I guess that she's better known, is she pretty much involved still in, uh, in the organisation?
7: Not at all. From a full racing perspective, we are um, almost independently uh, run reporting into um, a trust. So Mary Slack um, does not have any direct operational involvement whatsoever in in the full racing operations.
1: So how else are you going to change the um, future trajectory of horse racing in South Africa?
7: That's a very interesting question, Alec. Um, and, and I love it because I'm obviously not a previous uh, industry person. I always say I'm just, you know, a simple girl from Soweto. We we didn't even know about horses. So I think that was already the first step that says, you know, our uh, for racing is really wanting to. Change the trajectory, and rightly, like you say, not fall into the complacency, fall into some of the bad things that happened in the previous dispensation. So, first things first, what we are very clear about is we are also going to put together a groups, trust. We 're very much aware and um, you know take cognizance of the importance of grooms and their livelihoods. that has not really been taken care of before, so we 're setting up a groom's trust to ensure that at least we start giving back to our grooms. The second thing is because we're not um, listed, we are therefore not obliged to pay dividends. all the income and all the profits per se, that we make um, out of the business eventually will be plowed back into racing. So it'll be plowed back into the groom's trust, into our television product, et cetera, just so that we ensure that we're not taking money out that needs to continue and ensuring that the business of horse racing is sustainable for full racing. Then the third thing, Alec, which we explained um, or we went out to, to the press with last week from a four racing perspective. One, we know that there has been um, a dwindling horse population. And as a result, you know, over the last couple of years, it's been really difficult to focus on producing a quality product in terms of the races and having, you know, the right number of horses running in a race on the field. So what we've done is we've consolidated and looked at how we optimize our fixtures and as a result of that we've also been able to increase the stakes from 186 million which was around 2021 to 207 million in 2022 and that's quite significant because it also starts to I guess um, bring in a different aspect and enthuse the owners to stay in the industry and to also invest more in the industry So, so those are some of the the Big ticket items, um, Alec, that we've got, but there's still a lot more to come. Definitely looking forward.
1: That's interesting, the point you make about consolidation, because South African horse racing in the past was very much a volume-driven game. Horse racing in Kimberley of, uh, well, your you're, you're not such good horses always found somewhere that they could go to eventually, and that wasn't always a good thing because the quality of what was being bred in this country – isn't what we saw in the past where our horses could win anywhere in the world. Is that an intention? Is the intention to to maybe reduce the number of horses that uh, will be competing, but by the same token, uh, perhaps improve their quality?
7: That's exactly it, Alec. And I think what we must also be cognizant of is, you know, um, between ourselves, you're you're very much aware that we are in high-fault racing. We are in um, Nelson Mandela Bay. So what we also want to do is start to ensure consistency around Nelson Mandela Bay as well. So around Fairview, making sure that the not so greater quality horses that can't make it in Turfentine or in the Vale, they still have a good home and a good sort of quality racing experience in Fairview. So that really is the intention just to, you know, make it a little bit more, uh, what's the word? Um, uh, yeah. spread out and make sure that we cater for every single type of horse that uh, is currently within the racing industry.
1: What about relationships with other parties? And here I'm thinking specifically about KwaZulu-Natal, which is Gold Circle. That's uh, uh, in the past. Pumalela and and Gold Circle were at each other's throats. And of course, then you've got another situation with horse racing in the Cape. And on top of that, the the bookmakers. How are you approaching these uh, previously kind of uh, antagonistic relationships?
7: Indeed, they they have been antagonistic and we literally jump into a pot. That's still to a certain extent uh, antagonistic, you know. Um, It always surprises me when we go to these uh, public hearings for the gambling boards, just how much animosity existed, you know, and and we're almost painted with the same brush as as the previous dispensation. So there is a lot of work that needs to be done around bringing that industry collaboration back because at the end of the day, Alec, we're all working for one common good. Right. There are uh, certain things that need to be amended, that need to be changed. But I fundamentally believe that it's the power of partnership collaboration and just talking it out before we start litigating against each other will be incredibly important for us. Um, you know, in terms of our race operations perspective, we know that uh, Gold Circle is obviously licensed in KZN. We're not there except for, you know, some of our of our, um uh, we co-mingle in terms of the tote, but we have a great relationship with uh, Cape Racing and that continues. But at the end of the day, I think the common theme between ourselves as operators, bookmakers, even the gambling authorities is to ensure that sustainable horse racing in this country is not, never, ever um, uh, threatened again going forward.
1: And the big story, the big uh, potential for horse racing in South Africa was always the fact that brilliant horses could be uh, bred here, grown here. And the trouble was they couldn't be exported elsewhere because of African horse sickness. (coughs) And there didn't seem to be too much support by government or perhaps realization by the South African government that were this to be allowed, a massive export opportunity for the country would open up. Is that a priority, or if so, are you making any progress on opening those doors?
7: It most definitely is a priority. We, I don't think, have necessarily packaged a compelling story for government to actually understand the fundamentals of exporting and what it means and some of the things that are required from a South African perspective in terms of our own protocols to ensure that that export market, you know, is really protected. But I mentioned earlier on where I think it's also internally focused is, unfortunately, from a breeding perspective, that the, the horse population has significantly been decreased on the decrease for the last five years. So you find that you've got fewer and fewer horses um, that can be exported. And when they can be exported, there's kind of this, you know, lingering protocol issue that's not necessarily being prioritized and being focused. So my intention is, as you know, as I uh, meet with both uh, sides of, of the coin, is to say, how do we better then position ourselves and go to a DTI and go to... You know um, the uh, Department of Agriculture, who who oversee this particular aspect, to say how do we package ourselves as a good value proposition for for South Africa, something that we should be proud of, and uh, definitely garner go government support. And I, and I think that's one thing that's quite important. Alec, is for some reason uh, there hasn't been government support maximized, and I think one of the things that I would want, having come from a you know previous. Uh, uh, state-owned entity is to ensure that we leverage off good relationships with government because, you know, it's it's through those uh, partnerships that we can move forward uh, in strength.
5: In uh, this show, the big consultancy Accenture's foray into the world of advertising, I've got this question. Why are these two disciplines drawing closer? A couple of months ago, the first acquisition for Accenture in Africa as the company acquires the highly acclaimed King James Advertising and Communications Group. The move is a big step, I think, in Accenture's plan to drive what is termed experience-led transformation through the notion of creativity. I want to know what is in store for the partnership and the convergence of agencies and consulting companies in general. That interests me. Hayden Townsend is the Managing Director at Accenture Interactive. Hayden, why would a consultancy want to move into this space?
8: Um, you know, you mentioned two things there, Jeremy, the the notion of um, experience transformation and what that looks like. Um, and we talk about end to end, and I'll touch on that briefly. And then um, another key component is using creativity um, in that journey. So the first part is Accenture is, is very good um, at the back office. It's been built on the back office, um, you know procurement, HR, supply chain, operations, very strong in that area. Over the last 10 or so years, led by um, Brian Whipple largely um, on the building of Interactive, was this migration to the front office and to the customer. So getting a lot closer to the customer. Um, That's happened over the last five, six years where we're starting to connect um, back office and front office. And then um, the realization is that driving demand Um, and growth. So very efficient um, on the one side, driving down costs, um, but we weren't very active in growing demand and growing revenue. So the transition to moving into more consumer-facing technologies, and then ultimately into the agency universe as we know it, is kind of completing that puzzle, if you may, going end-to-end and going, we can now do back office, we can do front office, and we can drive demand um, on, mm. on, the, on, on the front end. I'll, I'll, get,
5: to and, side, I'll, I'll get to the creative side. Let's get to the creative. Yeah, let's get to the creative side of it. Yeah.
8: So, so it's it's been a very interesting um, journey in in the understanding that innovation in business and transformation in business is actually not led from an operational efficiency point of view, but from an innovation point of view. So the understanding that you can build new business models, new ways of fixing old problems, you know, um, complex business problems are typically trying to be solved through rational means. And I think the realization that if we were to apply creativity into complex business problems, we would have a much better opportunity at unlocking the potential in those problems. Now, where are we going to find that creativity? there's no better place than the agency world. Unfortunately, at the moment, the agency world is focusing its creativity on such a sliver of the the potential problem slash solution. So the thinking is, if we can take brilliant creative minds who are focusing exclusively on communication and then embed them into business problems, we think the outcome could be exponential. And that's effectively where this journey is going.
5: It would... Seem to me that often that word or that notion of creativity is a very amorphous concept. It's very airy-fairy. How do you sell the notion of creativity to clients who want hard-nosed business solutions? That, I would suggest, is going to be your problem.
8: Yeah, you see, we Accenture has been doing it through the term innovation and particularly around technology. So things like, you know, blockchain and the metaverse and um, all of the, the, the classical technology led innovations is where it's been built. Right. And now there's a realization that there is a human being attached to it. And I, I say a realization that should sound obvious, but they are consumers at the end yeah. They have feelings and emotions and, and actually connect with storytelling and all of these things that the agency world have been brilliant at for literally centuries now. And we are now looking at bringing these two together to going technology isn't an end in itself. It's meant to fix a problem, make the world better, transform a business. And then if we connect the technology with creativity, the actual innovation becomes exponential. And that's um, that's kind of where we are connecting those dots. And you're seeing a lot of it happen, um, you know, if you look at some of the, the agencies that have been in the system a lot longer, like Roscoe in Ireland, you know, if you look at their data-led Grand Prix, whole communications in China, using e-commerce and creativity um, for KFC, um, and there are numerous of these examples where we're starting to connect creativity, technology, data, and innovation in a way that's driving business outcomes. And And the focus is significantly on that part of this journey. We're never going to forego brilliant advertising. It has its place, and it is very powerful. I'm not one of the advocates that says advertising's dead. I think mm. it is very important and will always have a pivotal role to play. But it can't be the only lever that we pull, and it can't be the only thing we're focusing on at an agency level. We've got to expand and open the aperture quite significantly. And I think that's why, you know, the, the kind of forward-thinking creative agencies, you know, like the Drogers and the King James um, of this world are excited by this opportunity because they've been thinking beyond the screen for a much longer time and never been able to unlock the true value. And I've got numerous cases, you know, as soon as you talk to them, they go like, "Cheese, we had this idea and we could never make it happen or we could never validate the business case or we could never complete the supply chain to make that happen. And now all of these things basically become this massive opportunity in front of all of us.
5: Your difficulty, I would imagine, is going to embed a culture uh, within the organization to make sure that the left brain and the right brain are talking to each other. I'm sensing that internally it might be more difficult than externally.
8: Very much so. Um, you know, having said that, I think for me personally as as kind of interactive Africa we've got a, a few people who have have walked this journey um before us you know, so fjord almost ten years ago coming in and I think if I use fjord as a as a, as a as a kind of proxy for what it could look like and where it could go, we have started embedding design thinking into strategy and consulting, so there's no longer this kind of um zero-based budgeting approach. Of course, it's still there, but it's not starting from a point of how do we strip out cost? Mm. It's not starting from a point of let's scale the business down. Let's cut this out. It's actually starting from the growth mindset. And now we've got strategy and consulting using, you know, design thinking like describe design deliver using all of these models that are consumer-led bringing in research and you're starting to see the fusion happen now if I use that for where the world could go that is where we can take the creativity and embed it completely into, into Accenture broadly because that's the holy grail that's where success actually rests if we end up just being an ad agency in the group we've failed right so if we look at how strategy and consulting evolved, that partnership between creativity, consulting, innovation is where it sits. Now, from a tech point of view, you're always going to have big system integration, SAP, Oracle, ERP stuff. And we're probably not going to significantly change the technology behind it. But the outcomes and the way we get there would be starting from a very different point. Typically, Accenture could start from a system integration technology point, and now we're starting from a consumer point. So the actual solutions are probably going to be quite different. Once all these new technologies, right. the Adobe's and the Salesforce and the SiteCores of the world, becoming more and more important because we're solving for consumer problems. It's not just tech to make procurement better.
5: The Power of Creativity in Solving Business Problems. Hayden Townsend, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you so much, Jeremy. Now, Adland has had a tough 2021. It's been rough terrain to navigate. My question is, how have advertising agencies overcome the pandemic and the post-pandemic challenges, and maybe more importantly, what's the pivot like for 2022? Uh, Paul Jackson is the chief executive officer of the Grey Group in South Africa, just been awarded the medium size agency of the year at the annual Financial Mail Ad Focus Awards. As far as that's concerned, Paul Jackson, uh, congratulations and well done. I want to start with this, though. Your agency group took its own advice this year. You started to advertise yourselves on billboards, uh, something that the industry doesn't always do. What informed that?
9: Well, absolutely, Jeremy, and I'm glad you noticed them. So, so thanks <laughs> thanks for, for raising so them. And, and thanks for mentioning <laughs> it. Uh, but it's, obviously, it's working, obviously, yeah. So as you say, sometimes we don't take our own medicines, Sometimes uh, we don't take our own advice, which is, you know, quite silly sometimes. But, uh, yeah, we've, we've had a lot of fun um, doing that, and uh, we've advertised on, you know, by around 50 bull bulls around the country, um, just to raise the profile of the agency. Um, uh, to be frank and to be honest, we took full advantage um, of a lot of the inventory that was available and we sure. thought, um, let's make the most of it. And we had a lot of fun, you know, really getting our message of famously effective out into the market um, and actually taunting some of our competitors and having a little bit of fun with them. And we posted some of those billboards right at their doorstep, um, which uh, was just a little bit of fun. Yeah, I don't always, think we do all, enough of that.
5: <laughs> always, enough. always a good strategy. I don't think this year, though, Paul Jackson, <laughs> has necessarily been fun for the advertising and the marketing industry. How tough has it been and how have you had to pivot?
9: Yeah, Jeremy, I mean, I, I think, you know, for all businesses, but, you know, especially our business, um, in the, in, and the ad industry, it's, it's one of the industries that really is a, a bellwether for the economy. You know, we're usually the first to take the cuts and, uh, you know, sometimes the first to feel the benefits of an upswing. Um, when COVID hit, uh, especially, uh, with the, with the lockdowns and, and, and the, uh, the alcohol bans, et cetera, it really hurt a lot of our clients and uh, in 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 alcohol and automotive and transportation etc cetera, etc cetera. you know all of those industries were were really badly hit so um yeah as the ad industry goes um you know we were the first to take those hits um we had to uh you know really al- al- align and, and and make sure that internally we were there to support our staff number one um and then very importantly support our clients you know we all knew that this was going to be a short term um, cut and that we would need to support them. And as long as they came through it, we know that we knew that as the agency we would come through it as well. And uh, I think that's the key theme for, for us throughout this period has been partnership with our clients uh, and supportive of our people internally at the same time.
5: A lot of brands would have taken a decision to eschew advertising completely. So it does raise the question about how do you convince people that advertising is still relevant, why they still need it, because that's where the debate has gone.
9: Absolutely. And, you know, funny enough, this period has actually been almost like a little experiment. It's actually uh, proven the efficacy of advertising. And I'll I'll cite you one or two examples. We've seen some of our clients that have cut budgets um, have really battled to come back when the upswing in spenders has started to occur um another client of ours a very good example is the Savannah Cider um a, a brand actually has been spending throughout covid and throughout the alcohol bans and lockdowns and they're probably one of the most impacted um by the government restrictions and we've seen literally their 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 sales and market share double you know double in the past 12 months and that just goes to show that if you if you back and you support your brands um in periods where your competitors are pulling back you can take share you know, So it works. Advertising works. And uh, you know, we're very proud of, of the work that we do and uh, the effect that it has on, on our clients' businesses.
5: Paul Jackson, I've just had a very interesting conversation with Hayden Townsend from Accenture. And uh, you'll be aware of the merger with the King James Agency in Cape Town. He was talking to me about the power of creativity, yes. not just in communication, but to solve broader business problems problems. Do you think that's where your industry inevitably has to go to, that it's not just about communication, but it's right across the value chain?
9: Jeremy, without a doubt. It's not where it has to go. It's there already, to be frank. You know, the... the um, the descriptor, uh, you know, uh, uh, being in the advertising world is a bit of a misnomer. You know, we're in the creative business. You know, if we're not applying creativity to solve our clients' business problems, then you're not really in this industry. So we're applying our creative minds every day in different ways, you know, not just in communications, but in marketing terms as well. Um, You know, when we had those first lockdowns, um, you know, we had to pull the comms on many of the brands um, during the period, especially comms that showed groups of people socializing all around alcohol. Um, But at the same time, you know, people were out of jobs. So one of the creative solutions we came up with was a virtual comedy bar uh, for Savannah where we, we backed comedians who were out of work. Um, and we created a virtual platform for them um, to, to really display their comedy and, and connect with fans. And it was hugely successful, so much so that, that, that Comedy Central has picked it up. And, um, you know, that, that theme of creativity being used to solve business problems and everyday social issues is something that's pervasive and happening across the continent, which really makes for, for a wonderful future for our industry um, and for Africans in general, you know, to in, apply the ingenuity to solve some of the toughest uh, challenges that our, our continent and our people face.
5: As far as your industry is concerned, what's the outlook for 2022? Is it going to be a little easier, do you think?
9: Well, Jeremy, I, we've had everything thrown at us in the last twenty-four months. I mean, I, I feel like sometimes I'm I'm in a nightmare at um, at business school, and uh, you know the lecturers are sitting there rubbing their hands together, thinking, <laughs> "What can we throw, you know, these guys next?" And uh, I think we've been through we've been through it all, you know, and uh, you know from riots to to lockdowns to alcohol bans, you name it. Um, so I think we've come through it quite resilient. In fact, we've come through it with growth. Uh, We are expecting and really feeling uh, a very positive uptick in the economy and in spend. I think you can start seeing some of the media spend levels starting to get back to 2019 levels. Um, So we're quite optimistic for the new year. I think we've got a lot of pent-up demand. People have got savings. They've got money to spend. They want to travel. They want to get out and about. Um, And after any big recession or post-war kind of period, you do see this revival in spend and activity. And um, I'm quite optimistic and hopeful that we're going to experience that certainly in the, in the new year. And uh, we're well primed to, to take advantage of that. I,
5: I certainly hope that's the case. Um, final question for you, Paul Jackson. Given that we have a predominantly business audience, what questions should clients in 2022 be asking of their ad agency?
9: Well, I think, you know, it's not so much of the ad agencies, but it's really of the consumers, you know, and, you know, the ad agencies can help solve those problems. But what is it that consumers are wanting, needing, desiring, you know, in this post-COVID period? You know, if their desire is to be out and about and to experience new things, you know, how can we as brands um, enable that? And what can support can the agencies provide that? So it's always got to come back to what our, our consumers are asking of us. Um, and they're looking for new experiences. and They're looking for new ways to connect with people. Um, you know, they're tired and I think a little bit jaded with the, this lockdown period and want to get out and about and, and start experiencing life again and enjoying life. Um, obviously, in a in a restricted environment. And, uh, you know, how can we as brands and companies facilitate that and make sure that we deliver that? And those that do, those that are in the front foot and those that are proactive about it um, will definitely see the benefit um, you know, from their activities.
5: Going to leave it there. Paul Jackson, Chief Executive Officer of the Grey Group in South Africa. Thank you very much for joining me.
1: Well, thank you for being with us this Thursday, the 25th of November. And indeed, through the week, uh, tomorrow evening on Fine Music Radio, we have uh, Carrie's Corner with Carrie Adams, where she talks about things like having a tipple and uh, and a sipple and wine and liquor and just having a bit of fun and, of course, a little bit of music too. So don't miss Carrie if you are in the sound of the FMR uh, broadcast. Uh, on High FM, we back again on Monday with The Power Hour. Until then, have a wonderful weekend. Cheerio. You've been listening to The Power Hour, brought to you by the team at Biz News.